Welcome to Baby Snugs and Coffee Mugs. I'm Krista. And I'm Kelsey. We're both labor and delivery nurses from Minnesota. In this podcast, we'll be covering all things pregnancy, delivering in the hospital, and caring for yourself and baby postpartum. This podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only, so please seek medical advice from your healthcare provider. We are so excited for you to join us, so grab your coffee, snuggle up, and keep on listening. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to episode nine of Snugs and Mugs. Welcome. Last week, we ended our episode talking about being 10 centimeters and um, ready to push. We are going to backtrack just a little bit to start. Um, we kind of ended with, you know, feeling some rectal pressure, maybe some vaginal pressure, feeling that urge to push. We kind of want to talk about um, a couple other things that might happen when you're getting in that active labor, active phase of labor, um, that eight to 10 centimeters. Not only are you going to start feeling more pressure down below, um, but there's also something called labor shakes that Mm -hmm. you can get. It's where you like, your body just kind of uncontrollably shakes. Everybody's going to ask you if you're cold. You're going to say, no, I'm just shaking for no reason. It looks like you're shivering, guys. It does. Um, And that's just your hormones. Um, Your body is ready to have a baby. It's transitioning through all kinds of things. Um, An epidural can also cause those labor shakes too, but we just want you to know it's normal and it's probably going to happen. Lots of nausea. Yep. You might vomit. You're probably going to throw up. No, I think that's um, kind of person to person. I think some people kind of always get sick when they're in labor and others just, it doesn't happen at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that being said, we can just jump into pushing then, kind of explaining. We all have our own spiel, I think, of guiding through pushing. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... Um, if you are ready to push, I know we said last week, ideally, hopefully you've already talked about it, um, prior to being ready to push, but if not, um, the goal of pushing is to push with contractions. So ideally, um, what I always tell my patients is we are going to push three times with every single contraction. So what your body is going to do, you are going to, um, Put your legs kind of up. You're going to let your knees fall out to the side. So you want to keep a nice wide pelvis. Um, Grab behind both of your knees. And then um, you're going to take a big deep breath in. Hold your air like you are going underwater. So do not let your air out. Hold your air in your lungs. Put your chin to your chest. Do a crunch. Not a crunchy. Apparently that's (laughs) not a thing. A crunch around your baby. And you are going to push like you are pooping. Okay. Um, ideally you are going to push for 10 seconds and you are going to do that three times with each contraction. So in between each push, you have air in your lungs. So you're going to let your air all the way out, breathe all the way back in, hold it and push again. Okay. So three of those with each contraction. Yes, exactly. I think I explained it fairly similar. Close to that. You just don't Uh, say crunch. I don't say crunchy. Um, When we tell you that you're holding your breath, it's because we need you guys to just have enough momentum to push and bear everything down. So when you let that air out, you kind of lose that momentum and it's just not as strong of a push. Yep, exactly. So full lungs, press on your diaphragm. Your diaphragm will then help press down on your uterus and help push baby out. So you want to do yourself a service by keeping those lungs nice and full to get extra pressure towards your uterus. Yeah, and as she said, you are pushing like you're pooping. Yeah. If you poop, that's okay. It is super common. We are common. not going to tell you. <laughs> no, we probably won't. We will discreetly do it. 
your significant other probably is going to be the one to tell you. Most likely, yes. <laughs> um, but honestly, we say if you do poop when you're pushing, it probably just means that you're pushing in the right spot. So yep, exactly. it is okay. Um, so push really, really hard while you are pushing and in between, guys, relax every little part of your body. Um, pushing is a lot of work. With your first baby, if you have an epidural, it is normal for women to push around two hours. I've had people push for 10 minutes, probably up to five-ish hours. I've is seen probably the five best. hours a couple of times, yep. So it is tiring. It's exhausting. They do not fly out of you like the movies like to tell you <laughs> they do. It's a lot of work. So um, in between those pushes, I always encourage my patient, like, close your eyes. Um, if we have music going or... Um, have a massage going for your feet, something to help you relax and get all of those muscles just as loose as you can in between your pushes and save your energy for the pushing. Exactly. And if you fall asleep, we're not offended. Yeah. I've no, honestly encouraged it. If you feel like you need to take a little nap, that is okay. Um, we'll wake you up when it's time yeah. to push again. Yep, exactly. Labor's long. It's hard work. So take those rests when you guys can. Yeah. And then in between two is a lot of times when I'm encouraging you to just take a couple sips of water or some mm -hmm. ice chips. You don't have to if you don't want to, but yeah. kind of keeping up with that too. Um, during pushing, the nausea and vomiting can also be another thing that's bothering you now. Um, we do have medicine we can give you guys. I find that 99% of the time, once you just vomit, it out, you feel better. You do. Um, I feel like that heartburn, like holding back your puke is almost worse. And all of my patients tell me like once they just let it fly, they feel better. Mm -hmm, I agree. Um, and don't worry about taking a pause and pushing guys, because when you are puking, you're really using those same muscles just involuntarily. Um, so you're still pushing. So win-win. Puke that baby out. Exactly. <laughs> same thing with laughing, I guess. You could laugh your baby <laughs> out too. <laughs> Um, okay, so um, the nurse is going to stay in the room with you guys the whole entire time you're pushing. So like we had said, it could be a long period of time. You are not alone while you are pushing. Your nurse is going to stay in the room with you. Um, they will be by your side while you are pushing. Um, and then as for providers go, they usually pop in and out. It just kind of depends on the scenario. Um, if there's other women that are also close to delivery um, that they have to keep their eyes on as well. Um, so they might be in and out. If it seems like you're going fast, then obviously they're just going to stay there and be there for when the baby comes out. Um, but you might see them kind of popping in and out while you are pushing, um, most likely for your little bit of time that you end up pushing for. Yeah. And as for the providers kind of coming in and out, a lot of times they'll stick around um, for that first push too. We'll call it a practice push. Sometimes just a nurse will do that with you, but sometimes the providers will too, especially um, if you have a history of pushing fairly quickly. Right. Um, so with talking about pushing for an extended period of time, um, things that I like to do with my patients is push in different positions. Um, so I feel like the most common position that people see is that laying on your back and that, um, grabbing behind the legs, like I had explained earlier. Um, but we don't have to push in that position. We don't have to stay in that position the whole time. Um, if I'm pushing for a while, I typically like to move my patient around and kind of help that baby's head. Um, kind of navigate different areas of the birth canal and twist if it's not coming down perfectly straight, kind of to twist and help you push for a less amount of time. Um, so you can push on your sides. Um, you can do what's called tug of war. So you can kind of hold a sheet like a rope and kind of the nurse will hold it and then you will hold one and you can kind of pull force against each other. 
Um, I've had people pushing hands and knees. Um, we have a squat bar. So basically that's a bar that kind of goes over the bed and then our beds kind of separate. So labor beds are meant to come apart guys. So the bottom part can kind of separate and go down. So you can kind of be in more of a sitting position. And I've had people with epidurals do this position too. Mm-hmm. So, um, while the epidural limits you to not get out of bed, it does not limit all these different ways that you can be pushing. Yeah, exactly. So kind of going back, um, Again, you can push anywhere from 10 minutes to five hours. A lot of times if you're pushing on the longer sides, it's because baby's coming down, let's say like kitty wampus, just like not perfectly. So these positions help a ton. So not only can it help with baby's position, um, but also if you're not comfortable on your back too, that's Mm -hmm. another reason we would do this. Yep, definitely. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, So... Another way that we can push too, um, this is kind of a newer one to me and I use it a lot lately. Um, it's called closed knee pushing. So I talked about earlier having those knees nice and wide to keep your pelvis wide. Um, but you can also push with your knees like closed together and that will help separate the backside of your pelvis. So like where you feel your sacrum or your tailbone. Um, cause sometimes when baby is coming down, um, they just need a little extra room on that side of your pelvis and not just the front side of your pelvis. Um, And when you are pushing, really the hardest part is getting around your pubic bone. So baby's head needs to kind of, we call it come around the corner. So they come around underneath your pubic bone bone, and then they will be ready to crown and deliver. Um, But that's the hardest part. So um, a lot of times it feels like you might not be making progress, but really it's just millimeters of progress, guys. (laughs) It is. So baby's just kind of essentially rocking back and forth. So um, with your contraction, you might kind of see it start to pop out and then it kind of baby will start to slide in. That's super common. Mm-hmm. Um, your body has not had a baby before if this is the first round. Um, so it just needs that tissue. It needs that extra stretch right. to let baby come. And we also always have mineral oil at mm-hmm. bedside. And that's another thing that's really, really great for helping your tissue stretch and just um, giving a little lubrication as well to like help baby's head kind of press against that tissue and give it a nice little lubrication to help stretch and help baby kind of pass through. And as much as pushing for a long time does suck, you guys, it can help reduce tearing if you give time to let your body just more naturally stretch when baby's coming out versus if baby just kind of flies out in two pushes, sometimes you can have a more significant tear just because your body was not stretched properly. It just kind of gets torn through, unfortunately. So, um, there's a plus side to pushing for a little bit. So ideally, you won't tear quite yeah, as much. Pros and cons there. And most women will tear with their first baby. It's I, almost everybody has. I don't think I've ever met anybody that hasn't. Yeah, it's so. not not a common thing Just to not tear. For it. And we will go over what happens, what you do when it does happen. Yes, exactly. Um, okay, so let's say baby is coming around the corner now, guys, and um, the head is now showing and staying there. So Kelsey said kind of the baby was doing that rocking back and forth before. Um, that baby came around your pubic bone and now its head is just there and you can see it. So if your provider is not in the room, typically around this time, that is when they will come into the room. So that might be an OB if you have an OB, a midwife, um, if it's a teaching hospital, um, the resident might be there. Um, other people will be coming to your delivery as well. So it's typical for another OB nurse to be in your room. Um, if NICU is needed at your delivery, they will be coming around this time as well. Um, so basically your whole birth team is going to start showing up once you're crowning. So that means the top or the crown of baby's head is out invisible, and you're really, really close to delivering. Yeah. So uh, say that baby's crowning, everybody's there. 
Um, the OB at this time is probably going to guide you more of um, when to push and how hard to push. They might um, have you do little pushes or just not as strong pushes. They're going to kind of guide that for you. Um, essentially, we want baby from head to toe to deliver in one contraction. Yes. So once you're crowning on that first push, we're going to have you start pushing probably as hard as you can right away. Um, that head is going to come out. The shoulder should follow along with the rest of the body. Right. And that's what we're looking for all in one contraction. Right. So the head is the hardest part of the body to come out. So once you get that head delivered, hopefully that's the first push of your contraction. And then the shoulders and the body will be with the next two. So um, if it seems like your baby's head is going to deliver at the end of a contraction, they might just have you hold off and wait um, so that you can get that baby out with a lot of force and get the whole body out with one contraction. Yep, exactly. So again, um, the provider at this point is probably going to be telling you kind of when to push and when yeah. not to. Yep, so. they'll direct you. And it's normal. So if they tell you not to push, it's typically for a reason. Yep. All right. So now baby comes out. Um, the provider will most likely bulb syringe the baby's nose and mouth, and then they place the baby on your tummy. So your baby is still connected with the umbilical cord to the placenta. So typically they can't reach up to your chest yet. So they go to your baby or your belly and the nurse is most likely going to rub the baby down with a blanket, kind of encourage that baby to cry if it's not doing it on its own. Um, and then get any of those secretions that that baby's crying out with a bulb syringe, um, and that all is going to be happening while they're on your tummy and the umbilical cord is still attached. Um, so this is what's called delayed cord clamping. Um, I feel like I see it a lot on, like, on people's birth plans and stuff. Um, but we do it as a standard at our facility. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would assume a lot of others do this as well. Um, but guys, delayed cord clamping, what it is, is it means we are going to wait ideally a full minute um, for any of the blood that is currently in the umbilical cord to continue to go to the baby so that it is in the baby where it should be. We want that more blood volume to the baby. It's super beneficial for them. So we ideally wait until the cord stops pulsing or around one minute um, of age is typically when they will then clamp and cut the cord. So whoever um, you designate ahead of time to cut the cord, whether it be the dad or a support or the patient herself. I've mm -hmm. had my own patients cut their Same. umbilical cords, which is super cool. Um, I've gotten to do one. I have too. I, I was, was so excited. I was so excited too. <laughs> she did not want to do it. And she was like, I don't know. Do you want to do it? I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking. I agree. I was pumped. So um, at that one-ish minute of age is we're going to cut that cord. Um, and this is kind of where we determine, okay, is baby crying enough? Is baby um, getting all that fluid out of their lungs on their own? If they are, great. They go up on mom's chest and we start the golden hour, which is um, the first hour of uninterrupted skin to skin with baby. Um, if baby decides they do not want to cry or if they're having a hard time getting secretions out, um, what we will do is bring them over. There's a little warmer in the room and we will bring the baby over to the warmer um, where we can further assess the baby. And um, there's a few things that we typically will do if they're having a hard time clearing out their lungs. Yeah. So let's kind of just say baby is not crying super hard. Um, they're not really clearing out those lungs. We're listening or if they're holding their breath. Um, there's just a couple things that we're looking at. If their color's not pinking up, mm -hmm. um, we're probably going to bring them over to the warmer um, and kind of do a further assessment on them. We might check their oxygen levels. One of the more common things that we're going to do right away is um, deep suction. So mm -hmm. we might use the bulb syringe, and if that's not really cutting it, then we're going to do a tube. We're going to guide that down the throat. 
um, of the baby and just help suction more. And mm-hmm. that is just to clear everything out of those lungs so they don't have as hard of time breathing. They can kind of concentrate on things that they need to be doing, like breastfeeding or feed, or just formula feeding in general. Right. Um, if that doesn't quite cut it, um, the other thing we can do is CPAP. Yeah. So I'm sure you guys have heard of CPAP with like sleep apnea for adults. Um, so for babies, what we do for CPAP is there's a little round mask and it's going to go right over the baby's mouth and nose. Um, and what it does is it's going to help keep the baby's lungs open after he or she exhales. So it is not going to do any breathing for the baby. The baby does all the breathing on their own. Um, but it's just going to help keep those little lung sacs open, um, once they exhale all of their air out. So as you guys know, when babies are in mom's tummy, their lungs are completely deflated. And um, as soon as they come out and they cry for the first time, those lungs inflate super quick. And there's a ton of little tiny sacs that all have to get kind of popped open too. And that's why we want them to cry in the beginning. We want to keep um, those lungs open and we want all those secretions that were in their lungs out of them. Um, sometimes they just have a hard time doing it on their own. So that CPAP mask will just help kind of keep all those little sacks open. Um, and ideally it's just for a few minutes and then they come around and they do that all on their own. And then again, the goal is that, you know, baby's doing everything on their own and we are bringing them back over to mom for skin to skin as soon as possible. Yep. Yeah. We want you and baby back together as quickly as we can. Yeah. So Um, let's say baby comes out doing all those things on their own. We don't have to help them at all, which is always the ultimate goal yes. is that baby comes out crying they're clearing their lungs on their own they're doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing um and we're bringing baby up to chest right away yes so we want baby's chest right on top of mom's chest touching each other and this is called skin to skin um we will do uninterrupted skin to skin for the first hour of life which is called the golden hour which we mentioned before um skin to skin is amazing and super beneficial for babies Guys, it helps monitor their blood sugar, their heart rate, their breathing pattern, their temperature. Um, And then for moms who are choosing to breastfeed, it can help with milk production and encourage breastfeeding. Um, You also can do skin to skin if you are the father or the support person. It does all of those great things with the exception of the feeding aspect. Um, But I encourage my patients to do as much skin to skin as they can in the first few days. I think it's really, really beneficial for keeping mom stable, for keeping baby stable and tons of bonding of course yeah it's um I think even talked about fairly early on in pregnancy yeah too, just it because is. it is that important um as for people um not in the area that we work in I think it's fairly standard that every hospital has a golden hour I guess I don't know if they specifically call that yeah it might be called hour. something else yeah, yeah I think it is but um just kind of have those conversations in clinic yeah. Before coming in. Exactly. So while you are doing this immediate skin to skin, um, we are waiting for your placenta to deliver. So um, right after we get baby up on your chest, sometimes they'll start looking for any kind of tears they might have to repair. Um, the provider is going to be watching your bleeding, making sure that that's stable. Um, and then it's going to be time to deliver your placenta. So um, I've seen placentas come out as soon as like a minute after we cut the cord, um, but they can go up to a half hour, I guess is the longest they typically let it go before they have to do something about it. Um, But if you have an epidural, they will most likely have you give a little push. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. Um, I know if people do not have an epidural, they are really grossed out by the placenta (laughs) coming out because it's just feels like a big giant blood clot coming out of you. So like 
you feel pressure and it's uncomfortable. Um, so no one loves that part, but usually it's a one push and done kind of situation. And then you feel way better. And then you are no longer pregnant. No longer pregnant. Every little part of that being that was inside of you for the last nine to 10 months and 40 weeks or however long it may have been, um, is now outside of your body. Yes. Um, so, uh, standard at where we work after the placenta is delivered, um, we give a bag of Pitocin. So I think we had talked about in a different episode, Pitocin being used um, during labor, Mm -hmm. Um, but we always use it postpartum as well. And what Pitocin will do, guys, it's going to help control your bleeding. It's going to help contract your uterus down, keep it firm and help it get closer back to its normal state. Um, That usually takes a few weeks, but we want it to be nice and firm and to help you to not bleed as much. So it is a standard at our hospital that we give everybody um, one bag of Pitocin after they deliver. Yeah, exactly. And as she said, you know, it is just to help control that bleeding. Um, something else that we will be doing to help control your bleeding too, along with that Pitocin, is what we call fundal checks. Um, mm-hmm. If you've had a baby before, you know what we're talking about. Everyone um, hates them. It is massaging your uterus to, again, help prevent um, further bleeding. Um, it helps expel that extra bleeding or any clots that you may have building up. So, you're going to be seeing our faces for a couple more hours after yeah. you have that baby. We're going to be sure. checking in on vitals, specifically your blood pressure. Yeah. Um, and again, monitoring your bleeding, massaging that belly. Right. And that will start right after the placenta is out. So mm-hmm. they're going to feel your stomach the first time after the placenta comes out. Um, then they'll do your repair. So like we said, most women with their first baby are going to need a repair. Um, if you have an epidural, they'll make sure that you don't feel anything sharp. Um, If you do, there's lidocaine at the bedside and they can use that to numb you. So again, if you don't have an epidural, also they can use lidocaine to um, numb up before they do the stitches. Um, And then you, as Kelsey said, will be seeing our faces (laughs) for quite a while. Um, So for mom, blood pressure checks, fundal checks and bleeding. And then baby, we're going to be monitoring their temperature, their heart rate, and their breathing in their lungs um, for the first two hours of life. And much more after, but it's very, very closely in a lot of sets of vitals in those two yeah. hours. And we do check in on baby right when they're on your skin. So mm-hmm. it works out super nicely. Um, I just want to backtrack on one thing. Um, once they're done with the stitches, that is when we would turn off the epidural. Oh, is yeah. If you have an epidural running, um, again, your legs are going to be fairly numb probably. So we do shut off that epidural as soon as we can. We want you comfortable during the repair, um, but then we want you to be able to get up and moving within right. a couple of hours. Right. Yep. Good thinking. Um, so once they're done with that repair, they're out of the room, we'll clean you up, get you kind of situated back in your bed comfortably. Um, and a baby's been on your chest this whole entire time. And ideally at this point is when we're initiating that first feeding. So um, if it's breastfeeding, we'll start that first breastfeeding. If it's um, formula feeding, we'll get you your first bottle and baby still stays with mom. You're still going to be with mom. Even if that first feed is ending after that first hour, baby will be with mom for that first feeding until you are completely done with that. And the whole entire golden hour is done. Yeah. And so I will say you guys, um, I know visitors weren't a long, a thing for a long time, um, but visitors are now a thing again. Mm -hmm. Um, If you know that you're enough people at the hospital waiting, you don't want them in the delivery, make sure you and your support person are having the conversation if you want them in the room right after, or if you guys want that personal time during that golden hour. So again, as nurses, we're not interrupting that time. It would be your call from there on out. Mm -hmm. I always encourage people to be 
kind of, I don't know, sticklers about who's in their golden room. I would say whoever you want in your delivery, that's who you want in your room during the golden hour. Mm -hmm. Because this is your first few hours with your baby. This is time that you guys never get back. And I think COVID really showed us that like without visitors, I feel like my patients were much happier being able to like just focus on themselves, the baby. And then if there was one support, once one support could come. I agree. Um, I think overall that has shown to be Mm -hmm. much more beneficial. I mean, it's definitely up to you. And there are different situations where you do need other people in your room and you want them and that is acceptable too. But just um, just so they know that that baby's with you and like the priority is keeping that baby skin to skin with mom for the golden hour and the feeding. And then even after that, I always encourage the support person um, or the dad, whoever it may be, to also do their share of skin to skin. Um, So you want them to be able to have that time as well. Yeah, so again, it's always going to be your choice, but this is also one of our goals um, for doing this podcast is so you guys can start having these conversations now before exactly. you have this baby. And then it is what it is. You mm-hmm. tell the family what's up. Exactly. Or we can tell your family <laughs> what's can, up. Yeah. <laughs> We're okay being the bad guy. We're okay with we that. We can do it. Um, so after that initial feed, you guys are going to see us for a while. Um, after that feeding is done and whether or not the support has done their skin to skin. They can decide if they want to do that first, but then that's when we are going to take the baby to weigh them. So um, I think this throws a lot of people off, but we do not weigh our babies until after that first feeding. So we want them to be skin to skin and to eat, and then we do all of those measurements and the medications if you choose to do them after that. Yes, so if you are instantly texting friends and family that baby is here, I guarantee their first question is going to be how much does the baby weigh? We don't know it. Yeah. Um, we will. We'll find out and it's always exciting. But yeah, we want you guys to have that that bonding time. So yes. So um, I know we talked about this um, the other week, but we really are trying to kind of separate all these things into different like categories so you guys can just hone in on what you're wanting to listen to at the time. Um, So this kind of ends the initial recovery of you just delivered in those first few hours. Um, if you did have an epidural, we're waiting for your legs to wake up to get up to the bathroom for the first time. Do not get up alone you have to have some sort of staff member with you We want to be there yes we want you guys to be safe and it is very very common for people to get dizzy and lightheaded when they get up for the first time um so no getting up and we are going to talk about that whole entire process of getting up and taking care of yourself and what you do that first time you go to the bathroom because that's always news to people (laughs) so that is something we are going to cover next week guys when we talk about um kind of the rest of that vaginal recovery into the postpartum phase. Yes. Again, we have so much to just still cover and try not to overwhelm you. So if you guys have questions, let us know if there's something we're missing or not covering or something that doesn't even have to relate to what we've talked about yet. Um, Let us know and we'll try to answer all of your questions as best as we can. Yes. So as always, thanks for listening. Again, send questions our way if you need them. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.